In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Beloved Orthodox Christians, <clears throat> brothers and sisters in Christ, on this fifth Sunday of the Holy and Great Lent, <clears throat> we come to the Sunday before the entrance of our Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, into the city of Jerusalem, where he would enter with glory in order to prepare himself for the passion, deliverance of men through his dying on the cross and his resurrection. And in anticipation to the bringing of coming of our Savior to Jerusalem, the church has appointed the reading of the Holy Gospel where our Savior himself tells his disciples what is it that will happen in Jerusalem, for they were already setting their face to go up to Jerusalem. And our Savior says that, <clears throat> behold, brethren, we go up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man shall be betrayed to the high priests and to the Pharisees and to the scribes, and they shall torture him, they shall spit upon him, and they shall crucify him, and they shall kill him. This what our Savior tells to the disciples to strengthen them, to understand that they are going to Jerusalem that for that purpose, that our Savior should undergo his passion, to undergo the saving fashion for the sake of saving the humankind. And as he was saying this, two of his disciples, thinking that going up to Jerusalem would be the, uh, the coming of the kingdom straight away, the glorious coming of the kingdom, say that, ask that question, that in his kingdom they should be the closest to him. That when he shall be in his glory, those two disciples, which is St. John the theologian and his brother, James, the sons of Zebedee, they should be the closest to him, one, even they say, one on the right hand and the other on the left hand. And our Savior responds to them with mysterious words. And he says that, are you able, you ask to be closest in my glory, but are you able to drink that cup? and to baptize, be baptized with that baptism which I shall receive? What is the meaning of these words? What is this cup and what is this baptism? The fathers explain that the cup and the baptism are the cross, the death of our Savior. That is, the drinking of the cup is Him drinking up the full to fullness, the sufferings for the sake of the humankind. And his baptism is his crucifixion and death on the cross. Therefore, he tells them, if you want to be in my glory, are you able to do this, of taking up my cup and drinking it and receiving the baptism which is I, with, with which I am going to be baptized in, Jer in Jerusalem? Therefore, he tells them, that in order to enjoy the glory with God, in order to be, to be closest to God, the way is through the cross and the suffering of the cross, of <clears throat> following our Savior and taking up a cross and partaking of his cup and his baptism. There is no the joy of the, the resurrection without the passion and the cross of our Savior. There is no gaining of the kingdom without going through the road of suffering and grief with our Savior. But what is more important than this, beloved Christians, it is not just a cup, not just a baptism, not just suffering, not just grief, but our Savior's cup our Savior's suffering, our Savior's cross, and His death and resurrection. This is what we are invited to partake of. And this is one of the fundamental things that make Christianity so different from all the other religions, falsely so-called, all the philosophical systems. Why? 
Because in all the other religions with their false gods, God sits somewhere up high and tell people what to do. They command him, yes, even in grief, they console, but from afar, from very afar. And people are told, yes, go through this and you'll be saved. That is, their gods are high up and from there they command the people what to do. Not so in our Christianity, in our true faith. Here, God came and himself partook of our suffering and opened the door for us and traced the way for us. He didn't sit on his glorious throne as he saw humanity out of its foolishness depart from God and plunge itself into the hands of the devil and become enslaved to death and to suffering and grief. He not only commiserated with us, but he came and did for us that which we couldn't do ourselves. He took upon ourselves our human nature and went through the veil of tears, went through grief and suffering. He partook of pain for us. For us, he overcame that with which devil fights against us. For he fights us by throwing at us temptations and grief and suffering. And he overcame both of those sides, that is, temptation of sin on one side and the grief and suffering of death on the other. For when our Savior went out into the desert, the devil tried to lure him with sin just as he does every other human being, and his head was crushed by our Savior's might. He wasn't even able to approach our Savior with those three generic temptations. And there in the desert, when our Savior fasted as a man 40 days, There our Savior overcame, was victorious, made rather, our nature to be victorious over sin and the temptation of the devil. And by now taking upon himself the cross and accepting the suffering of death, by resurrecting himself he also crushes the might of death over the humanity. Therefore our Savior did everything for us. He is not telling us to do things on our own. He traced the way and tells us, children, follow me. Yes, it will be difficult. The road is thorny because life is suffering. And the temptations that are thrown against us must sound and look insurmountable. But I have overcome them. I have traced the way. Follow in my footsteps. And in every moment of grief, you will also find consolation. In every moment of temptation, if you are courageous to trust in me and follow me, every temptation will also be an occasion for your victory. That is how Christianity is different from all other religions. God does not command things to us. He did things for us. He did. He brought the salvation for us. He made our human nature to be victorious over our enemy for our sakes instead of us. That's how great our God is. That's how far removed the false gods are from our God. For demons in their, in their, even in the extreme of them wanting to lure humanity to false religions, wasn't, were not able to invent such a glorious thing because their mind is far removed from mind of God. And in every other religion, gods are aloof of humanity. They're somewhere else removed and humans are left at the end alone to overcome their enemy, which is the devil. Not so in Christianity. Our Savior did things for us. And he is our general, our leader, true leader, even from human uh, understanding, 
which leader and which general inspires more confidence? The one who sits in the headquarters and tells the soldiers to go and fight or the one who is on the battlefield and who himself gives example to fight and traces the way of the attack against the enemy? He is beloved by his soldiers. He inspires confidence. He inspires enthusiasm to surmount even the unsurmountable obstacles in the battlefield. This is what our Savior did for us. He didn't sit simply out in his glorious throne and tell us what to do. He came and did it for us. And thousands upon thousands of human beings, men, women, of every race, every tongue, every both sexes, of every age, were so inspired by this victory that our Savior wrote for us that they followed in his footsteps to abandon everything and to wage that battle against the devil, to wage the battle against sin and to be patient in every temptation that comes upon them. And as one of the greatest among these true athletes, true soldiers of Christ, we commemorate today on the fifth Sunday of the Great Land. Who is she? She is St. Mary of Egypt, the icon, the symbol, the great, uh, the great example of repentance, of power of repentance and the power of God's mercy to forgive and to cover with love all sin, no matter how deadly, how terrible, how, uh, uh, how many of them are. The church so loves St. Mary of Egypt and her story, which was written by St. Sophronius, Patriarch of Jerusalem, that she appointed, the church appointed that every that the fifth Sunday of every holy and great land, her uh, memory should be celebrated so that the, the faithful have not only to celebrate her, uh, uh, the, the uh, memory according to the Minion, that is the set calendar, which coincidentally also coincides to be today, the 1st of April, but also on Sunday, on a day of the resurrection and during the holy and great land, her memory should be always kept. It, I will not go through reminding what's beautiful, how compunctionate her stories. Every Orthodox Christian has a duty to know her life, to go through her life and to read it from, from beginning to the end. What we see in her life is that a woman who had, from youth up, had plunged herself in sins, in terrible depravity. Any carnal sin that was possible, she had committed. That from youth up, for 17 years, she was deprived of any semblance of not only pious life, but resemblance of a normal human life, because she was so enamored with filth of carnal sin. And yet, even in this depth of hell, in this depth of passion and sin, God did not abandon her, and he was, he was working on her salvation, luring her to come out from this pit of, of sin. And this happened when she was lured to go from her native Egypt to the city of Jerusalem, and there, at the moment when she thought that she wanted to enter into this uh, church of the Anastasis, the resurrection of our Savior, to venerate the cross, that dawned on her because she was, could not enter. She was not allowed by the invisible force to enter into, that, into the church. Dawned on her everything that she had done, that how much she had de deprived herself of, of God's grace and how many sins she had committed. Everything came together as a flood of repentance over her. And right there, she repented with the, from the bottom of her heart and promised 
made a promise to abandon everything and to dedicate herself to repentance, which she did. After this promise she made in her heart, she was able to enter into the church, venerate the cross, and after she came out, the promise she had made, she kept. She went beyond Jordan, that is, in the desert on the eastern side of, of Jordan, and there she spent 47 years in solitude, without seeing a single human being, without having any consolation from men, having tattered clothes and in the end being entirely naked at the, at the, uh, the, in, in the desert, and having just simple bread and roots to eat, which she had with her. And after 47 years, God sent St. Zosimas, the priest, to find her providentially so that she would tell her story to him and also she could partake of the mysteries before death. Marvelous is this story, beloved Christians, of how how great is the transformation that can be done from bad to evil. We know how terrible is the transformation from good to evil. The demons are the example of that. How they're being glorious and, and light-bearing angels, they became darkened fiends of, of, of evil. But the transformation of good to, uh, from bad to evil, uh, from bad to good to, to great things, is far more astounding. How the, 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 somebody who was entirely submerged in sin can, in a moment of a, of a, of a second, transform and break with this sin, to repent of it and to flee for to seek salvation. Now, when we hear the life of St. Mary of Egypt, when we hear that beautiful life, some people ask, 47 years in desert? Yes, she spent, uh, she was a sinner, but she spent 17 years in terrible sins, but she spent 47 years in the desert in terrible deprivation, in terrible struggles, in terrible uh, uh, struggles against the demons. Was it that God did not forgive her for 47 years and she, she, he, he wanted her to, to struggle that many years so that she would be deemed worthy of forgiveness after that? No, that is not the case at all. For God forgive, forgave her her sins the very moment when she repented. This is what we learn from the, from the life. For when she repented from the bottom of her heart, there in their city, in the, there in the city of Jerusalem, straightway she was allowed to enter into the church and to venerate the cross. And after making the promise to dedicate herself to God, the next day, although she had spent 17 years without church and without communion, she, was re- she received so much consolation in her heart and so much boldness that she approached the divine mysteries and took communion in the church of St. John the Baptist at the Jordan. That is what is written in her life. Therefore, God forgives right there. God is not the God who wants to suffer people, look to see people suffering and to beg for mercy and he won't forgive for many years until. No, that is not our God. That is a strange God. Our God forgives straight away. As she, he forgave to, to St. Mary of Egypt, as, as we know in the in many examples of St. David, the prophet and king, how he had committed both adultery and murder. And when he repented from the bottom of his heart and said that beautiful prayer, which is known as the 50th Psalm, straight away he, uh, Nathan, the prophet, received uh, the uh, message from God that his sin was forgiven because he had come with the brokenness of heart and had cut 
his heart, that is broken his heart with, uh, with repentance. The same with King Ezekiah. When he knew from prophet Isaiah that his days were numbered, he asked forgiveness for all the sins where he committed, and he was forgiven that very moment. The same with King Manasseh, who was his son, who had done terrible deeds of impiety. And yet, when he, with broken heart, he offered that prayer, which is known, the prayer of King Manasseh, is read every great compline during the Great Lent, he also received remission of his sin and uh, his, his forgiveness. Therefore, God forgives straight away. Therefore, what is this? what was the need of to go out for 47 years into the desert? The need was not in order to, uh, to uh, appease God and f to receive forgiveness, but rather to root out from the heart even the causes that make us sin. Not only to seek forgiveness for our sins, but to dedicate oneself entirely to rooting out from our hearts the passions that lead us to sin so that we won't fall into the same sins again. That is the reason why St. Mary of Egypt went. And that is why all the holy fathers and mothers go into the desert, leave the world, not because God is unforgiving, no, God forgives when one asks forgiveness. But in order to make good on the promise that we made, that not to sin again, to make good on the promise that we repented and we want to leave the, uh, the, the sin and become entirely God's, that is why they went, to be keepers of the promise and to root out the very causes that make us sin, that is passion, to mortify them entirely and to make the soul resplendent entirely brilliant with, uh, uh, with light of, of grace of God. That is the reason, therefore, why St. Mary of Egypt struggled. That is why the, the ascetics struggled, in order to become entirely God's and to avoid sin at all costs, and not because God was unforgiven towards them. Therefore, let us imitate them as much as we can, beloved Christians. It is superfluous to say that none of us has the strength to go out and to be a desert dweller. That is, no, nobody would advise you this in our day and age because we're weak. And our, in our day and age especially, our human nature is weak and attached to so many things of the world. But we can have them as examples. We can have them as inspiration of how much people were, were dedicated to God, how much they sacrificed in order to make good on their promises. And if we do have them as our inspiration, we also slowly will do one step maybe out of a thousand to be their followers with our whole hearts so that we also make may trace that way that they trace to follow our Savior in his footsteps in becoming victors over sin and death. And that way to in his resurrection to truly to be next to him on the right hand, on the left, and close to him in his glory. Of this may our Savior deem us worthy by the prayers of St. Mary of Egypt and of all the saints. Amen.